So the prophet Isaiah said centuries before Jesus' arrival in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And of course, that's the song we just sang. It's a song that speaks to the broken dreams of Israel, to captive Israel. A people that had started out with so much hope, so much promise. We read together over the last few months in our adult Bible classes, the book of Exodus. We read about how God rescued those people from their slavery and brought them into this land of promise. He gave them a law to govern their lives, but over time, the whole thing fell apart. And the people, because of their sin, ended up in captivity, in exile, and they were passed around from from nation to nation, from the Babylonians, and later on to the Persians, and later on to the Greeks. And then by the time of Jesus, the Romans. And Israel really becomes an afterthought in history. And what really held the people together were these promises. They, They clung to them. That God would bring in this new age. That God would bring in the Messiah. And these promises really come to life in our text this morning. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. The opening of the New Testament. A few months ago, a few weeks ago rather, I mentioned that this study was coming up. And the fact that we had three different preparatory studies for hearing the Gospel of Matthew. Number one... This summer, we studied the life of King David, and King David really figures in prominently into the story of the Messiah. We see it in the very first line of the New Testament. But also, as we also mentioned just a a moment ago, the adult Bible class study we did on the book of Exodus. And last week, Mel spent some time in our reflection talking about the connections between Exodus and Matthew And really all of the Gospels, because the Gospels present the story of Jesus as a new Moses, delivering the people from their slavery and leading them into the promised land. But a third study that we've had was the the preaching series that we just finished, and that is the letter of James. And I think James is a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so we have all of this in the background of our hearing that lead us really to the climax of the story of Scripture, the story of Jesus of Nazareth, the story that right now is being put on full display everywhere we go, buildings and signs and and music. We hear it in the radio. Uh, I treasure that. I, I treasure walking through the mall or walking through whatever store and hearing, Oh, holy night. And that's something to celebrate. Because it's not like that in so many parts of the world. And Jerry lifted up that prayer earlier for the suffering church. There are people, our brothers and sisters, in certain parts of the world who can't sing that song about the dear Savior's birth. Certainly not in public. They have to do it in hidden places. And yet it's the Christmas story. It's... It's the Christmas story told by the Gospel of Matthew that speaks a special word to those who are suffering, to those 
who are in some kind of disorientation. You really have two versions of the Christmas story told in Scripture, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Each one has a different point of emphasis. I think it's important to hear both. And so this morning and next week, we're going to hear the Gospel of Matthew. And the word of grace we hear in the Gospel of Matthew comes in a list of names. Many names. Matthew chapter 1 is all about names. So what's in a name? Well, what is in a name? What's in your name? Do you know where your name came from? Is there a story behind your name? Well, that's one of the neat things that young couples get to do who are expecting. They get to go into that adventure and join in that adventure of giving a name to their child. And there are all different kinds of ways of doing this. And it's a very important task. We want to get that one right. And so every couple has their own way of doing it. For me, and maybe this has to do with my own name, and I'm speaking for myself, not for the other Charlie here among us, but I wanted a name that was not easily made fun of. And uh, my parents didn't really take that approach to each their own. I may sound like I'm a little bitter about my name. I'm not, most of the time. I'm not bitter about my name. (laughs) But the naming of children, the naming of our children, went something like this. Julie would throw out a name, and I would come up with some derogatory word that rhymed with it. Just to test it out, I'm not going to give you any examples, not want to offend anybody, but I bet I'm not the only one who did this. So what's the story? What's the story of your name? How do couples come up with their names? Well, there's lots of different ways. One way is people go to the Bible, they go to Scripture, they say, hey, we want a a name from Scripture. Some people go back to their family ancestry. They look for a family name, something that really is catchy, that that they can continue the legacy of and pass on. Some of us look for names of people whom we admire to pass on to their children. That's actually how I got my name. I had an uncle who has my name and my dad's best friend in college. That's how I got my name. We do the opposite of that as well, and we ran into this when we were naming our children. I would throw out a name, and it happened to be the name of some school bully that picked on Julie or something and you know you, you attach a negative image to certain names and say no we got to discard discard that name some of us want traditional names for our children some of us want trendy names some of us just like the way a name sounds some of us have very unique and powerful stories attached to a name i think of jason mcveigh If you don't know the story of how Jason received his name, go ask Steve and Margie about it. It's a great story. It's an important task, giving a name to our children. So again, the question, what's in a name? Well, for us here in the modern world, names are important. But if we were to ask that question to the ancients, they would tell us, Everything is in a name, and everything was in a name. Names were of the utmost importance. They were connected to their reputation and to their lives, to their character. 
Uh, We think about Adam in the garden. One of the very first tasks he was given was what? To give names. He gave a name to the woman who was with him. He had the task of naming. Naming was important. Sometimes in Scripture we read about how names were self-fulfilling prophecies. Think of Jacob and Esau. Esau means hairy, rough. Kind of grew into that. Jacob means heel grabber, smooth, which really describes Jacob, both his physical characteristics, but also his personality. He was a smooth talker. Jacob was a deceiver, especially at the beginning. Names in Scripture were very important to pass down. You remember in the Gospel of Luke, when John the Baptist is born, I think he wasn't called John the Baptist at that point, but he was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And you remember the scene there of naming little John? Elizabeth announced the baby's name is John. The people couldn't get their minds around that because John wasn't in the family name and Zechariah had to write it out. Yes, yes, John is his name. Of course, when we think about names and importance, especially in Scripture, we think even of the names of God. Think about all the different names of God, really descriptive names of God. God sees, God hears, God provides, God of the armies, God of hosts. Jealous is a name for God. And of course, there's the most important name that we find in the book of Exodus, which we just read, where God reveals his name to Moses. You remember all those excuses at the burning bush that Moses was giving God of why he's, he's not the one to go and go to the people and go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. One of the, his excuses is that, I don't know your name. The people don't know your name. They're going to ask, what's your name? And God says, my name is, I am who I am. The divine name, the name that it is to be protected in Israel. It is to be hallowed. We prayed that earlier, the hallowing of God's name. The way we conduct ourselves out in the world, our character is connected to protecting and to setting apart God's name. Which brings us to Matthew chapter 1. So if we're just reading through Scripture and we come upon Matthew chapter 1, we might expect to dive right into the story, the story of the arrival of Jesus. That's not what we get. Instead, we are confronted with a list of names, lots of names, names that we talked about in our Bible classes this morning. I want to give a little word, by the way, to our Bible classes with that little segue. If you're not in the habit of joining us in Bible class, I want to invite you to start to come, to to make that a new habit. Now is a great time to do that. We're studying the Gospel of Matthew in the sermon series, but we're also doing it linked together with our Bible classes. It is a great time to start, especially if you have children, to set that rhythm of Bible study, to get that story into our children's brains and into their hearts. And then there's also, there's something very powerful and even mysterious about a group of people who get together and we get together in stages of life, but to get together and open up the Word and ask questions, questions that you can't really do in the sermon, but to ask questions and to to really try to help each other find our place in this story. So I want to encourage you, if you 
are not in the habit of going to Bible class, start next week. We're beginning in Matthew chapter 2 next week. So just keep that in mind. But this morning we talked about these names. Let's look at these names. I'm not going to read them. But just take a moment, kind of run your finger down the page and take in the names. For those of us who are not really familiar with the story of Scripture, these names don't mean a lot, but for those of us who have immersed ourselves in the story, especially the Old Testament, these names are familiar. These names hit us. There are some great names here. The first two names that we find, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, David and Abraham. Those two men who represent the two great promises in the Old Testament that God, through Abraham's descendants, through Abraham's seed, would, be, would bless all the peoples of the earth. The promise given to King David that his house, his royal line would go on forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the people of Israel, when they're in captivity, when they're in those dark times, they cling to these two promises. And so it makes a lot of sense for an inspired Matthew to connect Jesus the Messiah to David and to Abraham. But there are some other names on this list. Names... That are not so great. In fact, there are some pretty awful stories in here. Judah and Tamar. I would have left that one out. Rahab, the prostitute. I would have erased that one as well. There are foreigners in this list, which is strange in a Jewish genealogy. There's also that terrible story of David and Bathsheba. You remember studying that this summer? David up on the roof. We could have glossed over that one. What about the names of all those kings? Well, those kings, most of them were less than stellar, to put it nicely. So what do we make of that? What do we make of this list? An interesting list of names. Someone might even say a scandalous list of names. And yet the genealogy of Jesus doesn't erase those names, doesn't try to blot out the bad. I think it's a good reminder to us this morning that God works in the messiness of life. God meets humanity where they are, down in the pit. It's what redemption is all about, if you think about it. God fulfilling His mission in spite of us. We see that in the list of these names here. But this morning I want to hone in on one name, one name in particular as an introduction to this series on the Gospel of Matthew. It's a name we find in that short paragraph at the end of chapter 1. It's easy to rush through it because this time of the year the Christian world is focused on the birth of Jesus. But the Gospel of Matthew is not really focused on the birth so much. There's the genealogy and there's this short story. If we want to know about the birth of Jesus, we go to Luke with all the announcements with all of the singing, with the angels and the shepherds and the uh, there's no room at the inn, the beautiful story that we have in Luke, two chapters of just wonderful stories. 
But Matthew takes a different approach. He has a different word to say. And in Matthew's story, in Matthew's gospel, a gospel according to Matthew, this is not so much a birth story as much as it is an adoption story. Because scandal of all scandals, Joseph is not the father. And in that time period, that was a source of great shame. It didn't get any more shameful than that, and that was an honor and shame culture. And so what we have is an adoption story, and we have this beautiful story of Joseph being able to give his baby a name, to adopt him, in a sense. Let's hear these words, and then we'll talk a little bit about the name. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place, this is chapter 1, verse 18, by the way. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. We hear that often especially in these birth stories. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is, the Holy, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. God bless the reading of his word. We dug into that story this morning in our Bible classes, and again, of a call to join in to that Bible study. But for our purposes this morning, I want to close with the meaning of a name. Of course, there's a literal name of the baby, Jesus, which has all kinds of meaning. It's, it's a variant of the Hebrew Joshua, which means something like God saves. And of course, we think about Joshua in the Old Testament who leads the people into the promised land, all kinds of connections to the Messiah. But for this morning, I want to focus not on the literal name of the Messiah. I want to focus on the metaphorical name, the name that comes from the prophet Isaiah. Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. It's a name that really speaks to one of the major themes in the gospel according to Matthew, if not the main theme of this this wonderful book. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, the very last line in chapter 28, the last words of Jesus recorded in this book, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God with us. What's in a name? In this name, we have the gospel. 
It's the good news. It's what the story has been about from the very beginning. God has sought a way to be with us, the people whom He created. We see it at the very beginning in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the garden, God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening, talking with them. We read about it with the construction of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. Uh, Mark Shipp said it well last week. It is the miracle of miracles. God making a space to dwell among sinful Israel there in the middle of the camp with the tabernacle. Later on in the history of the Jews, the temple is built and God's glory fills the temple. God with us, with His people. You remember the, the stories of the people in exile and the, the visions that Ezekiel has when the temple is destroyed and the people are displaced from Jerusalem and Ezekiel has this, this vision of a throne and the throne has wheels on it. It's a mobile throne. God with His people even in the brokenness of exile hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. God is with His people. Emmanuel. And now God with us arrives in the baby there at the beginning of the millennia. What's in the name? Good news. It's good news. It was good news for captive Israel that Emmanuel had come. It was good news for this little faith community, whoever it was, that received Matthew's gospel. Think about what they were going through, the transitions, Peter, Paul, the great leaders, the pillars are dead, and the early church is in this transition period, and they hear the good news, Emmanuel, God with us. It's good news for those who are suffering for the name today. Those in Syria and Russia and China, the Middle East, India. Those who are in different parts of our country who are ridiculed for the faith, who are paying a price financially, whatever it is, for the faith that Emmanuel has come. It's good news for the secret strugglers here among us that Gary prayed for. And by the way, every single one of us has a secret. And God is with us in the battles. God is with us right now. Through His Spirit, the very Spirit that was there at the creation, hovering over the waters, the spirit that was there in the, the formation of the Messiah, the new creation, is the same spirit that dwells right now here among us in this community, right now as we speak. God with us. It's the good news we see at the end of Revelation, at the end of all things, the new heavens and the new earth, when God will dwell fully with His people once again. What's in a name? It is the best news that we could ever hear. And so over the next few months, we're going to dive into the Gospel of Matthew in our Bible classes and here in the sermon series behind this pulpit. 
May that name, Emmanuel, help us find our bearings in this series. May it serve as our compass as we hear the word of God, as we are reminded that we serve a God who does not abandon his people, but we have a God who draws very, very near. Well, maybe this morning we find ourselves distant from God and perhaps out of our own doing, perhaps out of our own rebellion. Maybe something has happened that has caused us to question, to have doubts. May we receive the word of grace this morning. May we hear the good news of Emmanuel. That God is nearer than you think. This morning we have the opportunity to respond to that good news, whether it is prayer or some other need that you would like to let the congregation in on, if you would like to pass through the waters as our spiritual ancestors did in baptism, we can do that this morning. If you would like to join in with what God is doing among us here at Brentwood Oaks, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing this prayer, Nearer Still Nearer. Let's stand and sing.